you go ahead and stand, and we'll, we'll read the passage of Scripture. If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, we'll be reading the first 46 verses of John 11. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, and the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was at Mary who, who had anointed the Lord with rancor fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you, have, whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said. After that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way secretly and called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As, as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews, who were with her in the house, and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She was going to the tomb to weep. Weep there. Then, then when Mary came, when Jesus, where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, "Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died." Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, "Where have you laid him?" Then they, then they said to him, "Lord, come and see." Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again groaned in himself, came to the tomb. Came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take the stone away. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. 
Jesus said to her, Did I not say that you that if I if if you could would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of, of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, loud voice Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. You may be seated. Thank you guys for reading this morning. And looking forward to sharing... Uh, What the Lord has here in this passage in John chapter 11 for us this morning as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. As we uh, jump in here, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we pray this morning asking that your word penetrate and accomplish its very purpose today. We know, Lord, that today on the calendar is a special day for many. Many know this day is Easter Sunday. For those of us in Christ, it's much more than a holiday. It's a reminder of the newness that we have in Jesus. This is the day that we celebrate an empty tomb. It's the day that reminds us that we who were once dead have been made alive through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would work in us and upon us, that we might walk like the new creations that you've called us to be. And we give you thanks for sending Jesus, your son, to live and die. And the Bible says that he was buried and that three days later he arose. And as we already sang this morning, we express hallelujah. Christ arose. We praise you, God that we serve a risen Savior. This morning, Lord, I ask that you would move us to be alive for your name's sake, that in the midst of our remaining days that you would unpack in our own lives those words of Paul, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Help us to live Jesus out and prepare us in these days to Know what it is to die, that we might see the gain that awaits us in the presence of Jesus. Father, we pray you would open your word to us, that you would grant us understanding, and that you would change us and transform us through your word and through your spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. He who believes in Jesus, though he may die... He shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. I ask the question of you this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? These words of Jesus speak of death and life. Being dead... And being alive. What is it, according to the text, that unites the two together? It's belief in Jesus. Belief in Jesus. Jesus is announcing that death and life are not the primary points of concern here on earth. The primary point of concern is whether you believe in Jesus Christ. For if you believe in Jesus... Though you may die, you shall live. And if you believe in Jesus and currently live, you will never die. 
So you can die and yet live and live and never die. But it's all predicated on whether you believe in the Jesus of these scriptures. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Not in the way the demons do, according to James. Do you believe in the sense of your works working together with your faith? Do you believe that he came down here, Jesus, he came down here to earth. He tabernacled among men for a time. And then willingly gave his life for you at the cross. For the one who believes in Jesus, Good Friday. Remember Good Friday, just a couple days ago, Good Friday. How is it that that day could be deemed good? For the believer, one who believes in Jesus, that is a good day because it's the day he died and his death purchased your life. His death rescued you from the bondage of your sin. His death, according to the Hebrew writer, released you from fear of death. As the captain of your salvation, his pioneering trail led him to a cross where he died for your offenses and three days later he was raised for your justification. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the tomb? Do you believe that he's ascended to be back with his father in heaven? Do you believe that he's coming back again one day, this time to judge the world according to his perfect standard of righteousness, a standard which, this is important for us to know, a standard which is only accessible through faith in Jesus' finished work at the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you believe that your living and dying has everything to do with this man, Jesus? Lazarus is literally raised from the dead in John 11. He's raised up. But the passage is not primarily concerned about Lazarus. It's not. It's centered on Jesus. And more to the point, it's centered on belief in Jesus. Listen to a few of these scriptures in John's gospel alone. And by the way, this is not exhaustive. We'd be here a lot longer if it was exhaustive. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has, listen, but has passed from death into life. John chapter 6, 47, Jesus is speaking again and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, you might remember John the Baptist and it says in John chapter 1 that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, capital L. That would be Jesus. Why? Why did he do that? That all through John might believe in this Jesus. A few verses later in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13... It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, children of God to those who believe in his name, to those who are born of God, goes on to say in verse 13. John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And near the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, verse 29, you remember Thomas who didn't believe and he wasn't going to believe unless he put his fingers right there in those spots of Jesus, remember? And he shows up in the house and he says, Thomas, put your hands here. And Thomas believes and Jesus says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
And then we get it two verses later in John 20, verse 31. You might mark this down. John 20, verse 31, because it's the theme of John's gospel. You want to know what John's gospel is all about? John chapter 20, verse 31. And it says, in verse 30, it talks about how there are all kinds of signs that Jesus did that are not recorded in this letter. But then verse 31 says, but these are written. What we have in in John's gospel, he says, these are written that you may believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. What kind of life? He talks about the kind of life, doesn't he, in the gospel. Abundant life. That you might have life in his name. And so from beginning to end in John's gospel, belief in Jesus is emphasized and highlighted. In our text in John 11, it fits perfectly within the theme of John's writing. In fact, it dawned on me this week as I was reading and studying the passage that John chapter 11 is the middle chapter in John's gospel. It's the middle chapter. You might think, well, what's the big deal about that? It's it's the halfway point. It's the centerpiece of his writing. And I got to thinking, you know, the theme that we, we heard in John 20 verse 31, that theme is still shining in all its brilliance as you reach the halfway point of the letter. Belief in Jesus. And it got me thinking, you know, some of you have reached a halfway point in your own life. Some of you maybe have crossed the halfway point. We don't know. But some of us are are hovering somewhere about the halfway point. Is your belief in Jesus still shining in all its brilliance as it did that moment when you first believed and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has it faded a bit this morning? Or is it barely flickering in your life? You know, when I use the computer without my battery charger, one of the things that I've noticed... I can, I can still see the screen to get my work done. But I've noticed that when I, when I plug into the computer with the charger, my screen lights up a bit. You ever see that in yours? When, you, when you're doing some work and you plug it in and it lights up a little bit. It, I can see things on the screen with a little more clarity. It's brighter than it was before. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about how this morning... How it may be true for some of you that you need to plug into the power of Jesus today. You've been relying on your own profession of faith from years ago. And as a result, you've been operating on your own batteries. You haven't been plugging into this word. You haven't been plugging into the Lord in prayer. You haven't seen clearly. You haven't heard clearly from him in quite some time, perhaps. Listen, belief in Jesus is not a one-time charge and then you're good for the remainder of your life. You ever see that warning message that pops up on the computer about your battery getting low? It tells you how many you know, percent left and, it's, hey, this is the, it's going to shut down here shortly if you don't do something about it. Well, what would happen if you never charged the computer? I think you know the answer to the question. How much more when we're speaking of our soul? How much more when we're speaking of things pertaining to Jesus? Listen, a few pages later in John 15, Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. And it's in the context of him identifying himself once again. I am the vine, you are the branches. This whole idea of abiding in him. The necessity of abiding in Jesus. You can't do a thing without me, Jesus says. Well, in John 11, this me from John 15 is identified here with great clarity. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's one of the seven I am statements in John's gospel, right? John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. John chapter 10, I'm the door. John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. John chapter 15, I am the vine. He's identifying himself. And what I find interesting is that he's oftentimes identifying himself in the exact way that the people in that moment need to hear him identified. And we'll see today it's very true. 
His identity as the resurrection and the life is very appropriate in light of the context, isn't it? I am the resurrection and the life. Today we celebrate the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. And this is crucial to holding forth the gospel. No resurrection in Jesus, we have no gospel. This is why so many have undertaken to discredit the resurrection account in the scriptures. The resurrection is the stamp of approval, if you will, by God, that Jesus' death on the cross satisfied God's just penalty for sin. It was God's way of saying, my wrath has been fully satisfied and justice has been fully settled at the cross through my son Jesus. I want you to notice that in John chapter 11, Jesus hasn't risen yet. This is before the cross. But he still bears the name and holds forth the name. Resurrection and life. Belief in Jesus is not only the theme of the whole book of John. But it's the theme of this chapter in John chapter 11. Which falls right in the middle of the book. And belief in Jesus is closely connected. In fact, it it can't be disconnected to his revealed identity in this chapter as the resurrection and the life. So then John chapter 11 is a call to believe in this Jesus, but it's a call in light of who he is. This chapter in John chapter 11 provides us a picture of what it is to believe in Jesus. In other words, because he is the resurrection and the life, you can with great certainty believe in his name and trust him with your life. Jesus doesn't do things like we might have done them in this passage. In fact, it happens on numerous occasions that Jesus is doing things that seem out of place, seem odd. But friends, while he operates in strange and mysterious ways at times, we can know that he is always about the Father's will. Amen? He's always about the Father's will. He's always carrying out the purpose of the Father. He's always speaking the words of the Father. His actions are always reflective of what the Father would do. See, when we understand that His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher beyond our thoughts and that He's working at all times in alignment with His Father, we can set aside our preconceived notions of, of, hey, Jesus, you're doing this the wrong way. Or, Jesus, don't you think... This would be a better way to do that? No, instead, what we can do is we can hear with ears of faith and know that the captain of our salvation is blazing a trail for us to follow. We watch, we listen to what he's doing, that we might know where to go, that we might know what to do, that we might know what to speak, that we might know how to proceed. See, he's going before us, and it's necessary then to follow where he leads. We sing, where he leads me, I will follow. Very simple song, but sometimes we forget the simplicity of it, don't we? Where he leads, I follow. I'd like to give you three principles from the text that show us what it is to believe in Jesus And how then that belief is intended to make a difference. Because truly, if it makes no difference. I'm reminded of the words of Paul in Corinthians 15. Our faith is futile if there is no resurrection. The preaching is futile. Makes no difference. Makes no sense if there is no resurrection. There ought to be a difference because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here we go. Number one, and all these begin, one who believes in Jesus. One who believes in Jesus. The first one is the one who believes in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. One who believes in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. I'll say it one more time. One who believes in Jesus does all that he does. Keyword, all. He does all that he does for the glory of God. Where did I get that from? Well, key verse there is verse 4. 
Really, those first five verses of John chapter 11 serve as introduction into the account. We see that there's a certain man who is sick. This certain man is identified as Lazarus. We see that this man, Lazarus, is from Bethany. We see that this man has two well-known sisters, Mary and Martha. You might remember their account in Luke chapter 10, 38-42. Right? Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha, it says, they send word, verse 3, through a messenger about Lazarus' sickness. And the text tells us in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Jesus had love for them. Well, tucked into that introductory section in those first five verses, we have verse 4. And it says that when Jesus heard that, hopefully when we read, we're asking, heard what? When we go previous, what did, they, what did Jesus hear? He just heard the report that was sent from Mary and Martha pertaining to Lazarus. Lazarus, the one whom you love, Lord, is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, to whom did Jesus speak these words? While the text doesn't come right out and tell us, I do believe that the messenger who brought word from Mary and Martha was the same person who heard these words Jesus was speaking. I do believe that he took the words of Jesus and he took them back to the sisters. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And immediately we are confronted with this phrase, this sickness is not unto death, and we think to ourselves, a sickness for the glory of God? A sickness whereby the Son of God is glorified through it? The one who believes in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. Now, I read this and I realize immediately that deep down we don't like the meaning of this text. We like the idea of giving God glory. We like that idea. But not so much when it involves us going through sickness, illness, or death. We intellectually, I believe, agree with giving God glory in our lives. But I don't know how often we associate things like sickness, illness, bad news kind of events. I don't know that we connect those items in our life with giving God glory. You know, this past week, our family was watching uh, Facing the Giants. You've probably seen the movie. And there's a scene in the movie where many of the football players on the team get converted. They go through a change. The Lord captures their attention. Things are different. And it's evident, not only on the field, but it's evident in their lives. The things that they do, all that they do now is for the glory of God. And I was reminded of a prayer by one of the players before they go out to play. And he says, Lord, we'll praise you if we win. And we'll praise you if we lose. You know, it's relatively easy for the believer in Jesus to praise God when we win in life. Although I will have to put forward that it's tragic we don't praise him enough when God grants us wins, various wins in this life. But how often are we praising God when in our eyes a loss happens? Tell me you have a, you have a, a birth announcement and you have a funeral. Is it possible for God to receive glory through both? If you believe that is true, and yes then what we say we believe is that God can get glory through life as well as through death. Is that what you believe this morning? One who believes in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. He does what he does that Jesus might be glorified through it. How then is Jesus going to give God glory through the sickness of Lazarus? And what does he mean when he says that this sickness is not unto death? Verse 6 
After he finds out the news. Verse 6 is a puzzling verse for many of us, myself included. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now here's one of those examples in the scripture where we might be inclined to immediately go when we hear this loved one is sick. Jesus stays for two more days. That's probably not how we would have done it. Agreed? Most of us, we probably wouldn't have done it that way. But knowing who Jesus is and knowing that he is perfect in all his ways, we can keep watching. We can keep listening. He's doing something here. He's he's building up to something. He's preparing for something. And two days pass, and then Jesus says that he's ready to go to Judea again. And notice immediately what the concern of the disciples is. They're somewhat concerned about Jesus going back into Judea. Because they remember how Jesus had just recently escaped from stoning. John 8, 8, 59, John 10, 31, John 10, 39. The Jews were taking up stones to stone him. They're concerned about Jesus. Why would you want to, Jesus, why would you want to go back to the place that tried to kill you? Notice what the disciples are thinking about at this point. They're thinking of Jesus dying. In fact, I love the words of Thomas. We oftentimes think of Thomas as the doubter. I love these words in verse 16. Very courageous words in many ways. He says to his fellow disciples, fellow followers of Jesus, let us also go that we may die with him. He's calling them to die. This statement comes after Jesus reveals clearly to them that Lazarus is not sleeping, but in fact he's dead. One who believes in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. I want you to look at what Jesus says to the disciples in verse 15. After he tells them Lazarus is dead, he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Why? Here it is. That you may believe. And nevertheless, let us go to him. So Jesus is going into Judea to pay Lazarus a visit, even two days after hearing about his sickness. And somehow he received word, or he knew. Remember, he's God. He's God. He, he knew Lazarus was now dead. Now this might have caused the disciples to wonder about the need to go at all since Lazarus is dead. You know, hey, after all, Jesus, you might be dead if you go into Judea again. So with those thoughts of death and dying, Thomas prepares his companions to come along for a journey that might very well end in death. It seems that verse 15 is speaking to a purpose for the disciples upon arriving at the place of Lazarus. That you may believe. I want you to couple those words with this sickness is not unto death. And you notice that Jesus is up to something. In verse 11, in fact, he says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. The sickness of Lazarus, which did in fact turn into death was going to work out for the glory of God in such a way that the Son of God, Jesus, would be glorified through it. And church, this morning, as we think about this first part of the passage, how often are you thinking about God's glory as you work through your trials? How often when when hard things are happening in your life, Do you consider how Jesus might be glorified through this situation? Take the other side of the spectrum for just a moment. When life is going great, when the Lord is pouring out his favor, he's pouring out his blessing in abundant ways, are you thinking then of how you can glorify God through your good times? One who believes in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. Here's the second principle in the text. One who believes in Jesus holds fast to him as the resurrection and the life. One who believes in Jesus holds fast to him as the resurrection and the life. In verses 17 through 39, Jesus has two personal encounters. One with Martha, one with Mary, the grieving sisters of the now dead Lazarus. Verse 17 tells us, that Lazarus has been in the tomb. Jesus found out that he had been in the tomb for four days now. 
Verse 19 tells us that many of the Jews from Jerusalem had joined Mary and Martha to comfort them in their time of loss. And the message that's delivered back in verse 4 is that this sickness of Lazarus is not unto death. But for Mary and Martha, it sure looks like death. You see, he's been dead for four days now. Notice that Martha and Mary both initially say the same thing to Jesus. Verse 21 and verse 32. Lord, if you'd been here. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Notice also what Martha says in verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I love that statement. You know, is there not embedded in verse 22... An element of faith on behalf of Martha. Whatever God will give you, I realize he's going to. Whatever you ask, he's going to give you. I realize that. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again in verse 23. I want you to understand something. We just push pause on the text. Martha doesn't have all of John 11 at her disposal. Can we just... Put that forward for, I think it's good for our consideration. She doesn't have the end of the story. She doesn't know how this is all going to end. All she knows is that this brother of hers, whom she loved, has been dead for four days. She's grieving over the loss of her brother. And her response to Jesus, I know that he will rise again. In the resurrection at the last day. And you know, in the margin of of my Bible, I I couldn't help as I was reading and studying. I I put down from Martha's words, good theology. But Martha, the I am is standing right here in front of you. I don't fault Martha, not one bit, for saying what she says. In fact, I do believe what she says is good. I was reminded of the father who had the son with the mute spirit in Mark chapter 9. And you might recall the the story. The father, he's talking with Jesus and it gets to a point where he and Jesus are at a critical juncture in the conversation. and, And the father just simply says... If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds and says, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. One who believes in Jesus holds fast to him as the resurrection and the life. How often are we like this father in Mark 9? Even perhaps like, like Martha in John chapter 11. We, we want so badly our situation to change that all we can see in the moment is the situation. We know what the scriptures say. We've read the scriptures. But we tend to incline ourselves in the direction of our painful situation rather than lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Jesus identifies himself to Martha and to all of us here in verse 24 when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, it sure looks like Lazarus is dead. I believe he's speaking directly to Lazarus' situation. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. There's hope. And then he says, and whoever lives and believes in me, is Martha not living? She's living. Martha Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Hope. Do you believe this, Jesus says. You see, he's establishing his identity with her. An identity that connects directly with her situation at hand. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days now. And she's grieving the loss of her brother. And in the midst of her situation, Jesus tells her, Martha, I am am the resurrection and the life. 
I'm the one who takes what is dead and brings it back to life. I'm the one who has the power to raise up what has fallen down. Martha, fix your eyes upon the resurrection and the life and you'll see that things are not as hopeless as you might think they are right now. And Martha in verse 27 answers the Lord's question and says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. What a great testimony of faith. She believes, listen, she believes what Jesus says because it's Jesus speaking to her. Listen, Jesus might not be right here in front of us in flesh and bones, but his word is right here in front of us. Do you take what he says and walk in that and live that out because it's Jesus, because it's God's word? She believes in him. Jesus doesn't come out and tell her how everything's going to happen. Do you notice that? He doesn't tell her. He doesn't just open the door and tell her, Martha, here's what I'm going to do. He doesn't say that. And oftentimes in our lives, he doesn't say, hey, Joel, today, here's what I'm going to do. Tomorrow, here's what I'm going to do. He doesn't open that door wide for us to see all things. That's why we're called to walk by faith and to walk in the light that he gives. Martha does that. I think there's a lot that she can't see. But I see in Martha and her response to the Lord a faith. Jesus keeps on moving in the direction of fulfilling what he's said back in verse 4. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, one who believes in Jesus holds fast to his identity as the resurrection and the life. Listen, I realize that for some of you here, your situation might be difficult right now as you sit in the chair. It might have you tightly pressed at the moment. You might not be able to see much beyond your painful situation. In the moment of trial, perhaps you know as you sit here today what it is to grieve as Mary and Martha are grieving. You've lost a brother. You've lost a sister. You've lost a father. You've lost a mother. You've lost a loved one. It's not an easy thing to work through. But how we handle death is a part of this life. And I believe it's one of the reasons John 11 is here. Death is a reality for each one of us. Unless the Lord returns first, come quickly, Lord. Amen. It would be wonderful if he came soon. But unless he returns, there's not a one of us who's going to skirt the gates of death. Not a one of us. We'll all enter through death's gate. Hold on, friends, to Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Know that when you trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, not only does he promise to direct your steps, but those around you begin to see something different in you as well. I was reminded of the passage in Daniel chapter 3. You might remember those three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and who? Abednego. Good, very good. In Daniel chapter 3. Remember the king, had, King Nebuchadnezzar, remember he had erected this golden image. And the deal was, when music played, everybody was to bow down, worship the image. Well, there were three guys who didn't do that. And they got reported to the king. The king found out about it, he got pretty angry. He gathered the three guys together and he said, hey, listen, let me, let me review this for you. You must not have gotten all the details. When that music plays, you're supposed to bow down. In chapter 3 of Daniel, verses 16 through 18. Love these verses. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. You see, these three men are holding fast to God, even though death is staring them right in the face. They speak to the king and they testify that their God is able to deliver them. It's not a matter of whether he can or not. He is able. Maybe some of you need to write that down. He is able. God is able. And they had a confidence about God that they served. This, this God that they served, there was this tremendous confidence in him. They knew him. They had seen him work. They had faith that he was able and powerful enough to provide their rescue. But if not. You see, that's where most of that, that's, that's the pivotal point for most of us here. Yeah, well, I can see how they do it because he rescued him. But did you hear their words? But if not, if God chooses not to deliver, if God chooses not to rescue, this is the part of the testimony that stirs my soul every time I read. But if not, here's a question. Will you hold fast to Jesus even when faced with a fiery trial of your own? Do you lose all confidence in the resurrection and the life if he doesn't provide the rescue? Are you going to continue to trust in the Lord all the way to the end? You see, the believer in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. That might mean, friends, death instead of rescue. That might mean it might result in long-term pain and suffering rather than deliverance in the short term. Jesus says that he's the resurrection and the life. Are you going to trust him regardless of your situation? Regardless of the outcome? Regardless of what it might cost you. God is able to deliver, but if not, we're not caving in. We're not walking away. We're not cowering back from holding fast our confidence to the end. As the resurrection and the life, consider what Jesus can do in your own life. Jesus can take your dead situation and he can make it alive. He can take your sickness and bring health. He can do that. But he can also take your infirmity and show forth the glory of God through your infirmity. What you think is an impossible situation staring at you, God can make it possible. He's the resurrection and the life. Your broken relationship can transform into a flourishing relationship, a growing, abiding relationship. Your dead-end situation can turn into hope. Your marriage might be defined right now as dead. You're living in the same house together, but you don't have much of a relationship with one another. Jesus is the one who can change all of that. He's the resurrection and the life. You might have some wayward children. He's the resurrection and the life. We have people here. I know it's been talked about. I dare not sweep it under the rug, but there's a lot of people who once were here, who are no longer here. There's a couple ways we can respond to that. We can walk around with our heads down. We can mope. We, or we can hold fast to the resurrection and the life and realize this is his church and he can take what's dead and make it alive. Amen? He can do that. He can do that. Do you believe in this Jesus, friends? The one who believes in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. There's an eternal perspective. And the one who believes in Jesus holds fast to Jesus as the resurrection and the life. There's hope. There's confidence. Look at 38 through 46. There's one more principle I'd like to show you from the text. One who believes in Jesus leaves clear evidence that a change has taken place. One who believes in Jesus leaves clear evidence that a change has taken place. Resurrection Sunday is celebrating Jesus, our risen Savior. And John chapter 11 happens not many months from the Passover. Jesus is about to die on the cross. And here in verse 38, I paused as I'm reading and studying this week. I paused at 38. He's standing before Lazarus' tomb. 
And he's seen groaning within himself on two occasions. And part of that could be just his compassion, his sympathy for the ones that he loves. But part of it, I believe, is also a reminder of the grip of death and how the devil up to this point has delighted in death, especially the death of God's children. It goes all the way back to the garden. And we remember Romans 5.12 says that through one man, sin entered and death spread to all men because all sinned. And here Jesus is standing at the tomb. Lazarus is dead. Jesus is found groaning within himself. I believe there's probably a lot of different things Jesus might have been considering and thinking through in these moments before the tomb. The account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Can we be clear on this? It's not advocating that anyone who has enough faith, if you just have enough faith, that their dead ones are going to be raised up from the grave. Can this be clear? Because I know it gets preached that way. It gets preached that way. You just don't have enough faith. It's not the point of the passage. It's not advocating that all your loved ones will rise up from the grave if you just believe, if you just come to Jesus. That's not what it's talking about. Lazarus is raised after four days in the tomb. Question, did God get glory through what began as a sickness? Here's another question. Would God have received glory through healing Lazarus' sickness? Yes, I believe so. But I believe also that God received greater glory through Lazarus' death. And get this. Not only was Lazarus dead, but Lazarus is now four days dead. Four days. Body's starting to do some Really strange stuff in the tomb now. Four days. And you get, you get the idea from that, from what Martha says. This, Lord, this, this stench is going to smell pretty bad. Do you think God's going to get greater glory through this, through his death? And the point here is that God can use your sickness. He can use your illness. He can use even your death to bring him great glory. The Son of God can be glorified through a difficult situation, through a mountaintop experience, but even through a tragic loss. And the reason this text is here, I believe, is to help you hold on to that hope. It's intended to help you see who Jesus is and to trust him, whether in life or in death. It's intended to set your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, and to hold fast to the one who identifies himself as the resurrection and the life, knowing that he is able. He is able to, to deliver. He's able to rescue. But if not, you continue holding. You continue trusting in this Jesus. You might remember the words in Romans 6, 4 through 6, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Tell me, do you think, that Jesus raising Lazarus from the tomb made any difference in the lives of those present that day? I do. What they saw, do you think they were able to quickly dismiss it from their minds? One who believes in Jesus leaves a clear evidence that a change has taken place. Jesus has been talking about how this situation is going to give God glory. And the text has been building to this scene at the tomb. The resurrection and the life is exhibiting his power for the sake of God's glory. And who's in on this? Who, who's in on this? If we read the text, we come to see that his disciples are in on this. We come to see that Martha is in on this. Uh, Mary is in on this. Um, the many Jews... But keep in mind, the many Jews who showed up to comfort Mary and Martha, these were Jews, many of whom do not believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And Lazarus himself does not forget him, though he was dead, he's in on this as well. God's glory is displayed by means of raising Lazarus from the dead, but God's glory is displayed through the Son 
and he too is glorified. So what Jesus said back in verse 4 actually happened. What he said back in verse 4 actually happened. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. It came to pass just like he said he would. Death wasn't going to be the final resting place for Lazarus' current sickness. And in the midst of raising Lazarus up, he brings God glory. And even while he's standing by the tomb, he tells Martha, Did I not tell you, verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? This this right here, by the way, is context, which leads me to believe that the message in verse 4 got back to Martha and Mary. A few verses later, he prays to the Father. This is interesting. He prays to the Father, thanking him for what's not yet happened. (laughs) Did you see this? He's thanking the Father for what hasn't happened yet. Lazarus being raised. He says what he says, that all those gathered around him might believe. There it is again. Might believe that God sent Jesus. And with that, he then turns to the tomb of Lazarus and cries out, Lazarus, come forth! And out he comes. The Bible says, he who had died came out. Loose him and let him go, Jesus says. And off he goes to walk in literal newness of life. One who believes in Jesus leaves clear evidence that a change has taken place. We know from the Bible that in the days ahead, Jesus is going to the cross. And as I was focusing on verse 4, I couldn't help but think about what God might say as we look at verse 4. This cross is not unto death, but for the glory of God and that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Don't get me wrong. He died. He died on the cross. But he wasn't going to stay dead. In fact, if you flip your page in John to chapter 17, this is Jesus' prayer right before he goes to the cross. And it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. You see, Jesus is praying that in being lifted up, he would glorify God. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus says, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Friends, we can celebrate Resurrection Sunday because we serve the resurrection and the life. We can celebrate Resurrection Sunday because the cross of Christ didn't ultimately end in the grave. Like Lazarus, Jesus spent some time in the grave. And like Lazarus, he was also raised up to new life. God loosed his son through the power of the Spirit and let him go on that early resurrection morning. So we need to hear this and understand that Jesus didn't stay dead. The picture that for centuries now has given so many people hope, it's the picture of the empty tomb. The empty tomb. He's not still hanging on the cross. It's the picture of the empty tomb that gives us hope. He who had died has risen. So if you believe in Jesus, if you share that union with Christ, you've died with Christ, you've been buried with Christ, know that his resurrection is intended to show itself in your life. One who believes in Jesus shows clear evidence that a change has taken place. You have crossed over from death into life. You were once dead, but now the Bible says you have been made alive through Jesus Christ. You were once blind, but now you see. It has everything to do with what Jesus did at the cross. It has everything to do with an empty tomb. He's alive. Walk then in newness of life. Bear fruit then. 
to God. Walk then in the power of the Spirit. Does your life show clear evidence that a change has taken place in your life? Does your life show clear evidence that a change has taken place? The Bible provides the response of the raising of Lazarus. I just want to read these two verses. In verse 45, many of the Jews who had come to Mary had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. There's one response. Many believed. You can write that down. That's one response. Many believed. Here's the other response. Verse 46. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Many believed. Some did not. Many believed, some did not. It's a familiar ending to Jesus' words, isn't it? Many believed, some did not. It's a familiar ending even for the apostles. I think about Peter and Paul and the likes. When you get into the the Acts and and the epistles, they preached the word around the entire Mediterranean and some would believe, some would not believe. How about you this morning? Having seen in the word the one who identifies himself as the resurrection and the life, do you believe in him? Are you joining the many who believed? Or will you resume life with the some who chose not to believe? One who believes in Jesus does all that he does for the glory of God. One who believes in Jesus holds fast to him as the resurrection and the life. One who believes in Jesus leaves clear evidence that a change has taken place. The first principle speaks to the big picture of why we're here. Why are we here? To give God glory. To enjoy Him forever. To give God glory. That's big picture why we're here. The second principle speaks and helps us understand this big picture of why we're here. Because you see... Understanding doesn't totally come into focus unless and until we understand who this Jesus is. And so the second one, it speaks to holding fast to the resurrection and the life. Believing in his name, trusting who the Bible says that he is. This helps us understand all things. You see, knowing Jesus gives meaning to your life. And the third principle takes the big picture of why we're here and connects it with the author and finisher of our faith. And then here's what it does. The third principle. It moves us into action on his behalf. It exhorts us in the days that we have remaining. To shine forth clear evidence of changed lives. Do you believe in this Jesus? And I pray that Jesus when he returns. And I do believe friends he's coming back. And I pray that when he does he finds faith when he comes. I pray that he sees his children living out their days for the glory of God. I pray that he sees us holding fast to Jesus as the resurrection and the life, knowing that all things are truly possible through Jesus. I pray that he sees us holding on, knowing that God is able to rescue and deliver. But if not, he sees us as one who trusts who he is and holds fast to him all the way to the end. I pray that he sees us making disciples of all the nations and stewarding well the time that we have here on earth, sending forth the pleasant aroma of Christ to all people, manifesting clear evidence that Jesus is Lord of their life. He who believes in Jesus, though he may die, he shall live. Friends, death is no longer a scary thing for those of us in Christ Jesus. He's the captain of our salvation, and as captain of salvation, he went to the cross and he died, and he was dead for three days, and death could not keep him. He he was raised from the dead. It ought not be a frightening thing for us. To die is gain. Maybe we can hold on to that. It's gain. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. That's gain, friends, as far as I see it. That's gain, present with the Lord. Whoever lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. Shall never die. Yeah, it's true that there's coming a day unless the Lord returns. This earthen tent's going to wear out. The heartbeat that I can now hear won't be beaten one of these days. 
My body might die. But spiritually speaking, I'm never going to die. Because I believe in Jesus. That's why. That's how we can live forever. If I could put it in real simplistic terms as we close, I'd like to just put it in one verse from the scripture. It's a verse that many of us have grown up with. A verse many of us know. We have right here in heart. We know it. Listen to the words. I believe it applies to John chapter 11. And what we've spoken of this morning. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. He didn't just love Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. That whoever, whoever believes in Jesus should not perish. Should not perish. Whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have, have everlasting life. Do you believe? Let's pray. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit who has given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he's conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And that he's coming back again. To those who may be dead here this morning, spiritually speaking. I pray that they might hear Jesus calling their name. Calling them to come forth. For those who are alive here this morning in Christ. I pray that they would hear Jesus speaking the words spoken to Lazarus. Let him go. Live as though you're in Christ, alive in Christ. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you would send your Son to die on the cross in our place as our substitute. We thank you for holding out hope for us and calling us to believe in your Son that if we believe and look to the Son we will not perish but will have everlasting life. Father, we thank you for the empty tomb and the hope of new life in Jesus. And We thank you for the reminder today that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Father, I pray that this church would walk in newness of life, would bear fruit to God, would keep in step with the power of the Holy Spirit and may there be found in us clear evidence that a change has taken place and may the empty tomb of Jesus stir us to move forward in faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Amen.